Well, good afternoon, listeners. This is the Dogs Program. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools are here every Saturday at 12 noon to defend our public school systems throughout Australia and most particularly our state schools here in Victoria because we are in Victoria and this is 3CR Community Radio. Uh, we believe that public schools are, have to be public in ownership and control. We also believe that they should be public in purpose and also in outcome. There should be genuine equality of outcome. We can only have that in Australia or in any country if you have a public system. Above all, it should be open to all children. Public facilities should be open to everyone and schools should be open to all children if they're paid for with public money. And that includes the private schools that are getting so much public money. Today we'll discover that they're actually getting considerably more public money than a lot of state schools are. But um, that's uh, when we get to our facts and figures uh, situation because some very interesting facts and figures have come out of Save Our Schools Canberra and they have been published in The Age. Dale will be telling you all about that a bit later. But Perhaps the most important news that we've got to tell you comes from America. So much bad news comes out of America these days, and I'm sorry, it's not good news. But I'm not sure that it's disastrous news either. We've been talking on this program about the Espinosa against Montana Department of Revenue, which is a church-state separation case. And we have discovered last Tuesday on the 30th of June, the Supreme Court in America turned the separation of church and state upside down. So in our press release, 848, we'll be telling you about that. Then Dale and I will tell you what other people have to say about their commentary on this very important case in America. Everybody breathed a sigh of relief, didn't they? when the abortion uh, case came out and uh, the Chief Justice Roberts went with the majority and said that women could have abortions, it was not illegal. But um, this case, this state aid case, is not as good as that at all. Far, far from it. Then, um, Doe will be telling you about the private school funding, which is growing 15 times faster than state school funding. And we'll also have uh, a few comments on that. And we'll end up with uh, some other news about a little disabled girl that was expelled from a Christian school. Very interesting case. And the parents are taking the school to court. Even more interesting. Uh, and as well as that, if we have time, we'll find out just how low Betsy DeVos is prepared to go in America concerning students who have debts. A very sad and worrying case indeed, which our students here in Australia should take note of because so many of our students now have debts. debts. But let's get on with it, shall we? Espinosa against Montana Department of Revenue. This case, in this case, the American Supreme Court has turned the separation of church and state upside down. On Tuesday, they delivered a ruling civil liberties advocates have warned could make taxpayers underwrite 
religious education, opening a massive crack in the bedrock principle of church and state separation. Well, as we all know, we're already doing that in Australia because we don't have separation of church and state anymore in Australia. But in America, they do. Now, the decision in the case, Espinosa against the Montana Department of Revenue, was 5-4 with the court's conservatives in the majority. And as the NBC News put it, the ruling further lowered the wall of separation between church and state and will likely affect laws or constitutional provisions in more than two-thirds of the nation that bar public funding for churches and religious schools. America's a little bit different to Australia because the states still have quite a lot of say through their constitutions. Now, what was this case? We have talked about it before, but I'll refresh your memory. It concerned a scholarship program enacted in Montana in 2015, which provided individuals and businesses with up to $150 in tax credits to match donations to private non-profit scholarship organisations. It's a version of a voucher scheme. Now, shortly after the program was enacted, the Montana Department of Revenue put in place a rule that barred scholarship recipients from using funds from the program to pay for religious schools. Three mothers who sent their children to a Christian school and relied upon the funds sued the department. And the state Supreme Court struck down the program, which prompted the High Court challenge. So at the Montana level, this uh, voucher scheme, which was using scholarships, scholarship money, was struck down as um, it couldn't go to it couldn't go to religious schools. Now, a state need not subsidise private education, according to the Supreme Court. But once a state does decide to do so, it cannot disqualify some private schools solely because they're religious. Chief Justice John Roberts wrote for the majority. I'll read that again because it's got a caveat on it. A state need not subsidise private education. So if a state decides it's not going to subsidise private education, it, it was in its rights to do that. Montana didn't have to subsidise religious education. But once a state decides to do so, it cannot disqualify some private schools solely because they're religious. Some of the scholarships could go to the private schools but not to the religious schools for Montana. Now, Justice Stephen Breyer wrote in dissent, in which Justice Alina Kagan joined, the majority's approach and its conclusion in this case risks the kind of entanglement and conflict that the religious clauses are intended to prevent. And Justice Sonia Sotomayor said, today's rulings perverse. Without any need or power to do so, the court appears to require a state to reinstate a tax credit program that the Constitution did not demand in the first place. We once recognised that while the Free Exercise Clause clearly prohibits the use of state action to deny the rights of free exercise to anyone, it has never meant 
that a majority would use the machinery of the state to protect practice its beliefs. Today's court, by contrast, rejects the religion clause's balanced values in favour of a new theory of free exercise. So this is about parental rights to exercise their choice of a school. And it does so only by setting aside well-established judicial constraints. And the decision drew outrage from groups including the American Federation of Teachers and also the um, Americans United for Separation of Church and State. The real problem is that public dollars are going to go towards amplifying discrimination as they do in Australia because private schools in Australia are able to and do discriminate against anybody they choose to discriminate against, whether it's on the basis of ability to pay fees or whether or not a child is disabled or whether or not parents have a certain sexual preference or whether or not parents are even divorced. A school can reject a child, even though our taxpayers' dollars are making sure that that school exists. So um, people are very concerned in America at this latest ruling by a conservative Supreme Court in the United States. But the White House celebrated the ruling as a right-wing victory for so-called school choice and so-called religious freedom. Well, we'll have a little break and then we'll come back and we will uh, talk about some of the reactions to this landmark case. Do you need to renew your subscription? Make a donation. Or pass on some information to a programmer. We can't get to the phone all the time right now, but we're still here. You can call us on 03-9419-8377. Each weekday between 1 and 5pm and talk to a staff member. That's 03-9419-8377. 3CR Community Radio, here to stay. G'day you mob, Kutcher Edwards here. I just want to send out a message to you all. To stop the spread of COVID-19, also known as the coronavirus, it is advised that you keep 1.5 metres away from each other. Follow rules on social gatherings. Wash your hands when appropriate and stay home if you're feeling sick or unwell. But most of all, keep strong, stay safe and of course, keep listening to 3CR community radio to keep connected to the community we'll get through this and hope to see you real soon bye well before the break we were talking about the Espinosa decision in the Supreme Court of the United States a landmark decision because America seems to be able to to be going to follow Australia in giving religious schools taxpayers dollars Uh, and it's a very worrying decision well there's been reactions to this, and Dale is going to tell you the reaction of a lady called Laura Chapman, 
whose comments have been put up on Diana Ravitch's blog page. Over to you, Dale. Thanks, Jean. Yes, I've got uh, Diane Ravitch's article. Uh, it's titled, Laura Chapman, the, the Espinosa decision was a farce because it was moot. The majority decision said that if a state offers a scholarship program for private schools, it must include religious schools. The dissenters, Chapman noted, pointed out that the Montana Supreme Court had already invalidated the private scholarship program. So the case was already moot because Montana no longer has a scholarship program for private schools. The Espinosa family will not get $150, the amount that used to be paid to families that sought help in paying private school tuition, because Montana no longer offers scholarships to private schools and thus will not be affected by today's decision. Laura Chapman wrote, I downloaded the text of Espinosa et al. versus Montana Department of Revenue et al. and read the dissents. And here are a few gems, all noting that the scholarship in question had already been made invalid by Montana's Supreme Court. Justice Breyer had this to say, I shall assume for purposes of this opinion that petitioner's free exercise claim survived the Montana Supreme Court's wholesale invalidation of the tax credit program. This is a feature in all of the dissidents, especially the, the dissenters claim there is no case because the program was made vaporware by the Montana Supreme Court. Breyer then begins an extended discussion of entanglements of the free exercise clause and the establishment clause and concludes that the majority's approach and its conclusions in this case, I fear, risk the kind of entanglement and conflict that the religious clauses are intended to prevent. I consequently dissent. Well, that's the summary, but it is followed by at least 6,000 words, as if prepared to show his colleagues that he had considered a lot of precedents that had no direct bearing on the case, these dating back to Madison and Jefferson's wall of separation in antebellum Virginia, along with hypothetical questions about state funding for charter schools. Uh, but that was a good thing to do because it's a very it's a very important principle as the dogs realised in the dogs case here in Australia. But you might like to tell our, our listeners about Justice Ginsburg, who is the eighty year old lady who really is one of the um, of the pinup girls of the court. She's a very special justice, this lady, and she's still got fire in the belly. So there's hope for us all yet. Mm. What did she have to say? Uh, now? Yeah, well. Uh Ginsburg had to say, uh, recall that the Montana court remedied the state constitutional violation by striking the scholarship program in its entirety. Under that decree, secular and sectarian schools alike are ineligible for benefits, so the decision cannot be said to entail differential treatment based on petitioners' religion. Put somewhat differently, petitioners argue that the free exercise clause requires the state to treat institutions and people neutrally while doling out a benefit. And neutrally is how Montana treats them in the wake of the state's court, state court's decision. Accordingly, the Montana Supreme Court's decision does not place a burden on petitioners' religious exercise. 
petitioners may still send their children to a religious school, and the Montana Supreme Court's decision does not pressure them to do otherwise. So what's happening is that the Montana, because when the Montana um, legislature, after the Supreme Court knocked down the scholarship program, just took the scholarship program off. It was no longer there. So this court decision, this Espinosa decision, uh, was continued by the petitioners because they wanted to um, punch a hole in the church-state entanglement. And that up to a point, only up to a point, is what they have done. It's very strange. Um, the Montana people in, in our in our jurisdiction will, I think, uh, say that there was no case to answer. It was mm. a no, no case. Mm. But they still pushed ahead. That's how much the religious people really want to get their hands into the treasury in America. Mm. Mm. Well, another justice, uh, another dissenting opinion from um, Justice Sotomayor said the majority holds that a Montana scholarship program unlawfully discriminated against religious schools by excluding them from a tax benefit. The threshold problem, however, is that such tax benefits no longer exist for anyone in the state. The Montana Supreme Court invalidated the program on state law grounds, thereby foreclosing the as-applied challenge petitioners raised here. Indeed, nothing required the state court to uphold the program or the state literature to maintain it. The court nevertheless reframes the case and appears to ask whether a long-standing Montana constitutional provision is facially invalid under the free exercise clause, even though petitioners disavowed bringing such a claim. But by resolving a constitutional question not presented, the court fails to heed Article 3 principles older than the religious clause it expounds. Laura Chapman added, I am not a lawyer, but I can not understand why this case even got on the docket of the US Supreme Court. It was settled in the Montana Supreme Court, made invalid, invalid and then struck entirely. So uh, it's a very interesting case indeed. But the teachers and a lot of people over in America are very concerned about this case, particularly the people who believe in separation of church and state, as the dogs do. And um, uh, we'll keep an eye on all of this. And we have. That's why we are bringing this information to you, because it's not readily available in Australia, except on Community Radio 3CR. And we're here because people have generously given 125000 so far to the radio Our goal was 250000 but in these times of play, I think it is quite remarkable that we have raised as much as we have. And even though I am sitting in my home and Dale is sitting in her home and we are on the computer, both of us, we are still getting this information out to you under quite extraordinary circumstances. And if you want to find out more about this, you can go to www.adogs.info. But now we'll have a bit of a break.
themselves on the everlasting blue. The deep in the sea, I am coming home to you. Well, listeners, that was a nice little interlude, wasn't it? A little bit of music. And we're back to uh, report to you on things that are happening in Australia. We'll leave America behind for the moment and we're well and truly back in our local scene. Uh, and in the age this week, on the 30th of June, Adam Carey uh, gave us some very information, good information, on funding. And we're told that private school funding grows 15 times faster than state school funding. And in fact, our state schools, which have carried the can and are still carrying the can and will be expected to carry the can uh, for the plague, times of plague, and they've done a very good job indeed, uh, they are being underfunded by the Morrison and also the Andrews government. If anybody needed to fight for anything, we do need to fight for the future of our children particularly those in public schools, because a lot of private school children will be soon knocking at the door, their parents will be, of our public schools because they've lost their jobs and they can't pay the fees. So um, Adam Carey's article is a very interesting one. It's based upon the work of Trevor Cobal of great fame, from Save Our Schools, and if you want to find out more about this, I suggest you go to the Save Our Schools website or to the statistics page on our website. But I'll pass you over to Dale, who give you all the good figures. Mm. Over to you, Great. Thank you, Jean. Uh, yes, I've got Adam Carey's article here. Uh, private school funding grows 15 times faster than state school funding. Funding for students at Catholic and independent schools in Victoria has grown almost 15 times faster than for state schools in the past decade, prompting warnings that disadvantaged students who need the most support are instead being left further behind. Analysis of 10 years of school funding data reveals the total amount spent on each child in a state school grew by $178 between 2009 and 2018, compared with a $2,333 increase for each Catholic school student and $2,612 for students at independent schools. The disparity in funding per student between government and non-government schools was also wider in Victoria by 2018 than in any other state or territory. Analysis by school advocacy group Save Our Schools shows. The average student at a state school in Victoria had $13,663 spent on their education in 2018, compared with $16,303 per Catholic school student and $25,000 for a student at an independent school. The figures are based on analysis of the latest school funding data from the Australian Curriculum Assessment and Reporting Authority. Report author Trevor Cobold, a former Productivity Commission economist, said the authority's data proved that government funding increases 
continued to massively favour private schools over public schools. As a, result, as a result, Catholic and independent schools are far better resourced than public schools in every state, even though public schools enrol more than 80% of all disadvantaged students. He said there is a vast gulf between the rhetoric of school funding policies and practice in Australia. Formally, the Commonwealth and, this, and state governments support the principle of needs-based funding, but the reality is that the funding increases continue to overwhelmingly favour the most advantaged school sectors, Catholic and independent, over the most disadvantaged sector, public schools. Well, there are a few comments to this article in The Age. It was all quite interesting. There were some responses, of course, from the independent and Catholic school sectors, and um, Mr Molino and Mr Andrews were a little bit um, narky about uh, the fact that nobody mentioned all the billions of dollars that they've been putting into the public schools. But um, these were the comments. I'll, uh, Dale and I will read them out to you. Over to you, Dale. What's the truth? Uh, the, the first comment is by someone calling themselves the truth. Uh, they say the parent of state school, the parents of state schools are welcome to donate enough to buy a block of land adjoining their kids' school and buy a pool any time they like. There's equality in action. Well, somebody called Goran responded, "State education is about social equality. Your idea is elitism." without credibility. <laughs> Thanks for clearing um, that up. <laughs> I had no idea this issue was so simple. All those people in the poor outer suburbs have to do is donate spare cash to their schools so they can buy land, build a pool, problem solved. Wow, genius can be found in all sorts of places. <laughs> well, Chris Curtis, who often writes particularly for the private school sector and uh, is uh, thinks he's a whiz with with figures, but I'm not sure of the years. I think I'll go with Trevor Cobalt. He gets into the into the um, discussion as he always does. So Chris Curtis says it wasn't meant to um, show the strange contradiction in attitudes to what non-government editing should be funded and what should not be. If you want to look at equity, ask yourself, for example, why the AEU, for all its Givagonski is happy to sign EBAs that leave Victorian government secondary schools with an average seven teachers fewer than the same size school had in 1981, which is actually an interesting comment mm. because he's actually indicating that um, the teacher union has been forced probably because of the amounts of money that are available to public education to compromise on teacher um, conditions. Yeah. <laughs> But he doesn't follow so, the dots all the way back to where the buck stops. Yeah. So Tuppy had something to say. Yeah, he, he responded by saying, Chris, it's completely irrelevant. The test for spending public money is getting the best outcome for the lowest possible cost. Health, yep, universal health care, PBS, choice of doctor, as well as having a scheduled fee, etc., is all about getting the best outcome. Education... What we are doing by funding private schools is clearly not providing the best outcome at the lowest possible cost. Childcare, roads, buses, etc. If they get the best outcome at the lowest cost, then sure, put public money into them. If not, then don't. You seem to miss the point. 
the fund, the public funding models don't have to and should not necessarily be the same. An MF says, the community acts together to provide services the community needs. By acting together, everybody benefits. If you don't want to be part of our community, then so be it. If you want to be an, an individual, so be it. But don't expect us to pay for it. Yeah. And, of course, this is what is going on. Yeah. Some parents who think that their little Joan or Johnny is better than everybody else's little Joan and Johnny, uh, want to opt out of the public facilities. They want special treatment. Now, all parents, of course, think that their children are brilliant and need special treatment. But there's a point at which we actually are really in this together. And it is best for our children mm. that uh, they learn to live up to live together and create a cohesive, not an angry society. Yeah. And we're seeing what happens when we don't have a cohesive society on the streets of America and even on the streets of Australia. Yeah. Because eventually those who are not given a fair go do react because they reach a point where they have absolutely nothing left. But we'll have a bit of a break and we'll come back with a bit more information from both Australia and America. Many of you will be familiar with 3CR's annual Radiothon fundraiser. It's when you, our listeners, literally keep the station going with your generous donations. It's a vibrant and busy time each June at the station and an all-in effort from our volunteers, staff and supporters. But in 2020, under the COVID-19 restrictions, we need to do things a little bit differently. So stay tuned for our June Station Appeal. It'll be online, on point, and be asking those of you who can to make a donation to keep 3CR alive. 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity. Welcome to Hillbilly Fever. I will be presenting three hours of vintage hillbilly and Australian country music. All right. It's Friday night and you are here with Chris and Christine on The Heavy Session at 8.55am 3CR. And everyone to Global Intifada. The track we just heard was by revolutionary Turkish band Rick Yoram. Hello everybody, you are listening to Sweet Dreams on Free CR Community Radio. You've dialed in that number 855 in the AM selected universe of radio. Well that wacky collection of 3CR music shows is just the tip of the iceberg. There are so many interesting music shows on 3CR. Make sure you tune in and check them all out. They're presented by incredible people who have an incredible wealth of knowledge about incredible music. Don't you just love the amazing, wacky collection of music shows on 3CR? 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au.
can see that this country is covered in the blood of Aboriginal people and the length and breadth of it. Australia is a part of an undeclared war and a secret invasion. And it began 250 years ago this year. Now we have a country that's built on lies, deceit, fraud, propaganda and race hatred indoctrination. Now it's been 250 years of us being oppressed in our own land, brutally. We might be oppressed, but we understand what freedom is. And we fight for it every day, and we've resisted this occupation since day one. And I predict colonialism, capitalism, imperialism is going to get knocked out cold by about mid this year. 3CR, your station in struggle and solidarity. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. there we are, another break, and we're back again with some very interesting material. Dale's going to tell you about a little girl who was recently diagnosed when she was six, she's seven now, with autism. So she was well and truly on the spectrum. But um, her name is Kate, and when she was in year two at school, she was expelled by a Christian school, a Christian school that has compassion for all children, we are told. (laughs) Now, the mother um, was very upset about this and took the school to court. But the good news story about this is that there is a place and there is the expertise in the public system for this little girl. But over to you, Dale, for the good story. Thanks, Jean. Yeah, I've got an article by Jordan Baker from a couple of days ago uh, titled, Kate was expelled in year two. Her parents took the school to court. Catherine Blundy was just seven years old when she was suspended, banned from the school bus and then expelled from a Christian school near Penrith. Her parents have taken the Lakes Christian College in Castlereagh to court, arguing the school knew Catherine. who who was diagnosed with autism, age six, needed particular types of support in class because of her disability, but failed to provide them. Their lawyer, Chadwick Wong, from the Public Interest Advocacy Centre, PIAC, said that support included strategies to help calm her down when she was triggered, such as timeouts and breathing techniques. But her mother, Hannah, alleges the school did not implement them and said that Catherine's behaviours and said instead that Catherine's behaviours were just tantrums, which she switches off and on. This said Mr. Wong. We are saying that the adjustments she needed were not provided and we are saying she was suspended because of her disability and ultimately expelled because of her disability and a failure to provide those classroom adjustments. PIAC has taken the case to the Federal Circuit Court alleging a breach of anti-discrimination laws. We think it has prospects of being broader than just Catherine, for Catherine and Hannah, Mr Wong said. A spokesman for the college said, there are many factors that are relevant to this situation. However, as the matter is currently subject to legal action, we are unfortunately 
unable to provide these specific details. <laughs> so they want to dish dirt on a student. As a Christian school, we always strive to act in a compassionate and caring manner. We value all children at our school, including those with disability, and work hard to meet their individual needs. Discipline and suspension of children with a disability have become a major issue in school systems. New South Wales Department of Education figures show 7 out of 10 suspensions of kindergarten students in the four years to 2019 involved students who needed some kind of adjustments to accommodate their disabilities. But there are no similar figures of available for private schools as they are not required to report suspension data. We know absolutely nothing and that's a huge problem, said Linda Graham, an education expert at the Queensland University of Technology. If we don't have transparency, no one knows it is happening. Catherine Blundy said, Catherine, uh, Hannah Blundy said Catherine, known to her family as Kate, had attended the college since preschool when she was four and a half. The family began the long road to diagnosis when she was five and tried to work with the school on adjustments that would help. But an incident, which she cannot describe for legal reasons, led to a suspension. And that turned into a termination of her enrolment, said Mrs Blundy. We feel that was not justified. It was like they had asked her to walk downstairs when she was in a wheelchair. We think she was asked to access education as a neurotypical child, and that's not the case. We'd really love to highlight that Kate was seven years old. Termination stays on a child's school's schooling record. For me, having to fill in another enrolment form, I have to tick that box. This didn't just affect Kate. Her sister had to move schools as well. Mrs Blundy argues parents should have access to information such as staff training in disability, as well as policies and data on suspension and terminations before enrolling their child in a school. Catherine, now eight, is attending a school in the public system. We've been extremely blessed through the Department of Education, which quickly assessed Kate's needs, and they've been able to get her into a very supportive environment. Thank you, Dale. That was some very interesting story. And please note that it is the public system which could cater for Kate. Um, and so it should. So it should because the public system is for everyone. And they have the teachers and who have the ability to understand the needs of these children. 3CR remains closed to all broadcasters and guests until further notice. The good news is that so many of our programs are producing new shows each week from home. From Lost in Signs to Living Free. Done by Law to Defence of Government Schools. Concrete Gang to Chronically Chilled. Mafalda to Music Matters. We're here with compelling content and rousing radio. Listen live or listen later. Tune in, stay safe and keep listening. 3CR Community Radio, here to stay.
and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. Proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. Our education is not for profit! Our education is not for profit! You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Well, good afternoon, listeners. This is The Dogs Program, the Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools. Now, there's another article we've got here about Betsy DeVos. Ah. We're going back, we're ending our program back in America. We started it in America because America seems to loom so large in, in our Australian uh, environment, doesn't it? Mm. But here we are back in America because often what happens in America today will happen in Australia in a year or so's time. That's the worry. And there's a new low. Betsy DeVos sued for garnishing wages of nearly 300,000 student loan borrowers during the pandemic. A home health aide who earned just under $13 an hour is the lead plaintiff in a class action lawsuit filed on Thursday last against the Education Secretary of America, Betsy DeVos. Betsy DeVos, as I think we've told you many times, is an exceedingly wealthy lady uh, up in the north of um, north of the US of A, Michigan, and uh, she she has um, made her money 
in pyramid schemes of various sorts. Um, very interesting lady indeed from a very, very conservative uh, Calvinist 16th century almost background who believes in charter schools and whose mission in life is to defund and uh, really run down the public education system of America. Mm. Now, her department has continued garnishing the wages of hundreds of thousands of student loan borrowers in the midst of the pandemic. In time of play, this lady, who is a multi-billionaire and moves in the society only of multi-billionaires, is prepared to garnish the wages of a girl who earns just under $13 an hour. Now, the CARES Act, which was signed into law in late March, prohibits the Education Department from seizing the wages and tax refunds of student loan borrowers who had defaulted on their loans. In America, as in Australia, their tertiary students have to take out loans to get a tertiary education. Here in Australia, we not only have loans, we also have the HECs. And there are billions and billions of dollars that are owed by our people who have been tertiary trained in our society at the moment. Elizabeth Barker of Rochester, however, in New York, says that the Trump administration has nonetheless continued to take 12% of her paychecks since the legislation passed, garnishing $70 from her cheque as recently as last week. How mean is this that? Is a financial strain which forced her to default on $10,000 in federal loans in December. So it's a little bit like our robo-debt. Yeah. And it's probably just one fraction worse. Now, Barbara's hours have also been reduced by 10 to 15 hours per week since the pandemic, let's call it the plague, began. And the plague is worst in America in the whole world. America is leading the world in COVID-19 cases. So Elizabeth Barker, Barbara of Rochester, who could be any of our children or grandchildren who are in university or TAFE at the moment, says that she's so worried about how she'll get through it. She has no money in the bank. She needs every dollar she earns at work to survive each day, but her hours have been cut because of the virus. She doesn't understand why the government keeps taking her money away after it passed a law that says that they will stop. So America must be almost as bad as Australia with the radar. <laughs> the lawsuit has been filed last Thursday week with legal advocacy groups, student defence and the National Consumer Law Centre representing Barbara and about 285,000 other American young people whose wages have been garnished in the past six weeks. Now, this CARES Act that they passed, saying that they couldn't do this, gave relief to borrowers from wage garnishment until September 30th. 
So it was only a window for them. But across the country, employers, including barbers, have not yet been formally advised by the Trump administration to stop withholding as much as 15% of employees' paychecks and sending the garnished wages to the government. The Education Department claims that the borrowers will be refunded the garnished wages if they were collected after March 13th but they have offered no information about when they will see those refunds. And um, it seems that the government is a really bit of a lie in America, as it is here, as we found during the um, during the bushfires and during the robotic crisis. The lawsuit captures a new low in DeVos's leadership, tweeted Student Defence on Friday last. Right now, low-wage workers hit hardest by the economic impact of the pandemic need their paychecks to keep food on the table and a roof over their heads, says Persis Yu, who's director of the NCLC Student Loan Borrower Assistance Project. By continuing to use its harsh collection tools during this public health and economic crisis, the Department of Education under Betty DeVos is placing the health, the safety and the well-being of vulnerable student loan borrowers in peril. In a letter to DeVos sent on April the 16th, the Democratic lawmakers, including Senators Elizabeth Warren, uh, who's a very interesting lady indeed, and Bernie Sanders, and also the representative Ayana Presley from Massachusetts demanded information about the wage garnishment, which has persisted despite being illegal under the CARES Act, and they called the Secretary's failure to stop the practice unconscionable. The Trump administration is taking money from borrowers who are living on the edge of poverty in the middle of a pandemic and in violation of the law. And the lawsuit that they're taking shines light on how she has been operating a student debt collection machine that is accountable to no one and it should be stopped. So even though things are bad for people in poverty in Australia and in America, they are fighting back and they are using the law courts to do it. So that is all that we have for this week. If you want to find out more about the dogs or about what you have heard today, particularly about the press release uh, about the Espinosa case, then we suggest that you go to www.adogs.info. But for the moment, it's bye for now.
Salt Lake City, just as I am standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill, went on to organize. Went on to organize from San Diego up to Maine in every mine and mill where workers strike and organize. It's there you find your hill. It's there you find. Listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.